Hey listener, I have good news for you. We are opening registrations for the lettering seminar again this month during Black Friday, and it's going to be big. In case you're just hearing about it, it's a live training program I first held in Berlin in 2017 to educate my students and unlock their creative potential. Since 2020, I've been teaching this live seminar as an online course with video lessons and tools for aspiring lettering artists who want to take their skills and careers to the next level. And to give you a full walkthrough of the course curriculum and what's included, I'll be holding a free lettering masterclass for you. Yes, you can sign up to the masterclass by simply going to martinaflor.com slash lettering masterclass. That is martinaflor.com slash lettering masterclass. Those who sign up get priority access to the program and to some additional perks. See you there. Uno, dos, tres. Welcome everybody to Letter Now, a podcast where we nurture the creatives, illustrators, designers, and makers of tomorrow today. My name is Martina Flor, I'm a lettering artist, author, educator, and the host of the show. And today we will be talking about heritage, talent, and craftsmanship. We'll be answering questions like, is talent innate? How does your personal story impact your work? Can I be creative if I wasn't born in a creative household? This and all of the other questions we're going to talk about with an extremely talented artist with, that is here with me, with a unique story, which we will go deeper into as we go down the episode. And please stay until the end, because on our story time segment, he will be sure telling very interesting stories. He is full of stories, so um, I'm sure that he will share a very interesting one with us today. So please welcome... Dan Forster, an award-winning lettering artist and designer with over, over 23 years experience. Dan works with design agencies and clients from around the world on lettering and type-based projects, anything that requires beautifully crafted bespoke lettering. You can find him and his work on danforster.com and on Instagram at Dan Forster. I will add this to our show notes so that in case you don't know his work, you get to know his work because it is freaking amazing. So hi, Dan. So good to have you on the show. You're so kind, Martina. Thank you very much. <laughs> How it's are you? really nice to be here. Thanks for, thanks for inviting me. Thank you so much for being here, Dan. I have to be completely honest with you. While I was doing the research for this show, I found so many interesting, you know, edges for this conversation that I didn't know where to start. Um, there's so much to talk about with you. On one hand, I've been following you, your work since 2017. That is when we met, actually. And it has been incredible to see what you have achieved in just five years. Um, so for our listeners, Dan is an incredible lettering artist. He's one of the top artists in, in our industry. He's very humble himself. He would probably not say that he's one of the top artists in our industries, but his work is just amazing. And on top of that, there's this incredible, incredible story um, about your late father, right, that is called Tony Forster, and he was one of the pioneers of commercial lettering uh, in the 60s and 70s, if I'm not wrong, 
And sure. you sure. Gr- you grew up being exposed to that. So I think yeah. we, we can start there. We can start like chronologically and kind of go <laughs> down how how it was for you like growing up and how it was for you, um, you know, being around a craftsman like your dad. And if there's any images you would like to share with us that you remember about, you know, the time you were growing up and what you were exposed to. Yeah. Um, well, it was, yeah, I can only speak from my own experience because obviously, you know, this is how I grew up. I, I don't know what it, I, I don't know any, anything different, but um, yeah, it was, my dad was amazing and he was obviously, he was one of the biggest influences in my, my life and my career. And um yeah, right from when I was a little kid. So my parents had an extension built on the side of the house, which was to become my dad's studio. And it was this huge room and it was just like a man cave. So my dad spent like all his waking hours in there. And I think sort of like year after year, it just get like more and more full and full of his works. Everything he made was, was by hand. So yeah, growing up as a kid, it was you know, I used to spend a lot of time in there, hang around in the studio. I, you know, often run in in the middle of when he was working and, you know, interrupt him and say, dad, draw me a picture or, you know, whatever. And so I'd, I'd sit there and I'd watch him draw, um, which was amazing. And so, yeah, there was things like that. And then he had thousands of books. So I would be, you know, I'd rummage through his bookshelf. And then he had the other thing I remember was, uh, I think it was called like a, a copy scanner or an enlarger machine. Mm. so it's one of these like old school machines that was in the corner of the studio and it's like this big black box with a curtain at the top and then there was two sort of handles that you'd wind on it and it was basically for you know before photocopiers this is how they used to enlarge or or reduce artwork um but I used to use it just for tracing my comics on you know so it was it was it was really really fun as a kid sort of spending time doing that um yeah and just the house itself was just full. Uh, well, besides the studio, the house was full of artwork. So there was posters all over the walls. I remember, you know, just by the dining table or behind the dining table where we used to eat, there was there was some like Ben Nicholson posters on the wall. And I remember just, you know, I'd sit there and I would be eating our dinner and I'd, I'd just stare at them and for years and years. So I think maybe I kind of absorbed a lot of art at an early age and I think obviously that was something that I don't probably have an impact on, on what I ended up doing so yeah it was kind of inevitable I think I was I was going to do something creative um, but yeah and then sort of beyond that into my teenage years you know I was I was really into like skateboarding and rock music so you know of course with that you get all the associated like cool graphics Mm. And that really, that was a big inspiration at, at a young age. And I think my dad recognized that and he, you know, he latched onto that and tried to sort of encourage me to, well, make art because I was interested in drawing, but also, you know, there was things like, I remember making like graphics for my skateboards and then I'd, I'd draw like a band logo on the back of my jacket and, you know, all these kind of things. So I think I was maybe like subconsciously, starting to understand a little bit about letters with out re- without really knowing what I was doing, you know, and I certainly had no idea what graphic design was at that time. Um, but yeah, and then I remember there was one time, I think I was about 16 and he, 
well, well, I was working, I had a summer job at the local swimming pool and somebody there was getting married and they wanted some like wedding invitations. And you know, you know, the wedding cards, the, mm. uh, yeah. the, the place names that go on the tables. Yeah. So, so they knew I'd done, I don't know how they knew, but maybe I was talking about it, but uh, anyway, I ended up doing all this like calligraphy for, for their wedding. And I, I basically charged them no money. I pretty much did it for free, which is like, ridiculous. But um, but yeah, I, I remember that because, and I remember trying first trying calligraphy, and my dad, you know, obviously encouraging me to 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 get into it. And my overriding memory is just like frustration because I, I just couldn't get the letters as perfect as I wanted. So it was, you know, there was so many times where I, I'd draw somebody's name and then I. I, I'm not happy with that. So I try and do it again. And then in the end, I was right running out of cards. So I just had to like go with whatever I made. But um, yeah, it was, it, it was frustrating. So and I remember thinking at the time, this, this lettering thing, it's like some kind of dark art, mm. you know. Um, and even later on, when I first sort of got into design, and I sort of dabbled with type and lettering, and, you know, I, I sort of struggle with it. And I, I always thought, oh, yeah, I'm not sure if that is for me. So I, I think that's why I, I sort of went on to do graphic design um, or, you know, start my career in graphic design. But I, maybe subconsciously as well, I thought, well, this is what my dad does. Maybe I should do something else. So I think that was maybe, yeah. I want thoughts. to do a follow, up, a follow up question there in terms of, you know, you grew, you grew up in a household where letter forms or you know this craft was made by hand and you saw your dad doing this with in that way um <clears throat> sorry mm -hmm. you also um you also tried that yourself you were also you know doing this this logotype for your jacket and you were trying out calligraphy yourself um so fast forward 20 something years um, nowadays your work is entirely digital and I wonder how these experiences working exclusively by hand or starting like to explore letter forms or craftsmanship by hand how that has an impact or how do you feel that has an impact on your work nowadays if it does if, if there's any impact that you feel that there's that you can extract from that experience onto your work yeah. nowadays absolutely um i think it i think it's crucial mm. and i well i'll tell you a story um so when i was at when i was at college the first college i went to after school because before that i was i was interested in drawing I, i loved drawing i didn't really know what i wanted to do but i know that i love drawing so i did a general art and design course um But I, I, once I started the course, I quickly realized that I was far more interested in what was happening down the corridor in the graphic design room because my friend was on the graphic design course. Um, but the, the college, they, they wouldn't let me switch courses, so I had to complete the general art and design course, but I managed to specialize in graphic design. And then after that, uh, when, when we finished, uh, finished college there, there was like a summer break, and then I was starting at a new college because I... I got onto this graphic design course. Hmm. So over the summer months, my dad, I suppose in order to, you know, like prepare me for this course, he said, right, I'm going to give you some, some projects to do over the summer. And, you know, I thought, oh, all right, that, that, sound, that sounds good. Um, but what, what I'd also been doing at the time was I, got, I was going to an evening class to learn how to use computers. 
So, and this was, I was like really excited about this because, you know, computers were relatively new and, you know, it was, um, not, well, actually there was also at the time, there was this sort of trend in the, you know, the design industry, which I think some people call it like new wave typography. Um, or I think I had a book called new wave typography, but it was all this kind of layered up multi-layered typography. And it was, it completely ignored the rules of, you know, the grid and layout. And it was, it was just chaotic, but hmm. it was kind of like, almost like punk, punk music hmm. for, for design. And so I, I loved it, you know, being like a young designer, I was like, oh, this is amazing. But, um, but my, my dad had other, other thoughts about it. <laughs> he, he didn't like it at all. Um, so, I was, so, you know, I was into this and I was learning to use the computer and I thought, well, whatever, whatever projects he gives me, I'm going to use my newfound computer skills and I'm going to, you know, do some, do my own version of this like new wave you know, like typography. And, you know, this, so that was my plan. And then he, he gave me the first project and my heart sank when he gave me the project. So the project was to hand draw a lowercase Helvetica A like over and over until oh, no. it was perfect. So, so you my, can personal, imagine, like, my personal hell. <laughs> so you can imagine like, I was just bamboozled. I was like, what, what on earth is this? Um, you know, so, so I kind of reluctantly, I they sat down and got on with it. So it was basically, it was like a six inch square and I was drawing this Helvetica. I think it was like the bold weight of a Helvetica A. And I, so I had to trace them. But the point was they, they had to be perfect. So the lines had to be perfect. And uh, so I, I, I set about drawing them. And then, I, you know, when I'd done a few and I got one that I thought was good, I'd take it to him and say, yeah, this one's pretty good. What do you think? And he's like, oh, no, that, that curve's a bit wonky there. You know, you've got, you've got too much weight in this area. And, you know, so, so long story short, I drew like, it seemed like hundreds of A's. It was ridiculous. Um, but, and then sort of when I, af after I got to a point where they were starting to get good, you know, he sort of, he sat me down and he said, look, you'll, you'll never learn anything about the shapes and proportions or like the beauty of letter forms by just pressing a key on a keyboard. Mm. You know, you need to, you need to learn, you need to understand the letter shapes and, you know, learn by observation and by, and by copying them. So that was the point of the project. And so that's, always stuck with me and I think it you know it really taught me a lot about you know not trying to dive into projects too quickly you know in terms of like jumping straight onto the computer so I've always ever since then I've always started projects by hand whether it's a pencil and paper or whether it's on the iPad it's always like some form of sketching or drawing so but it it, it all stemmed back from that so and I kind of I feel really lucky to I've been able to grow up and have somebody teach me that lesson at, at such a young age. Um, but yeah, so that, that was, that was one, one pivotal thing. I can't even remember what the question was, but I think that's. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I think you answered this, that how, how, yeah. you know, this craftsmanship and this technique of working by hand impacted your work. Although when you see your work nowadays is 100% digital and you wouldn't expect necessarily that you start with a hand sketch or you start or you did any exploration by hand but I think it makes a lot of sense that you through working by hand you also developed some sort of sensitivity and sensibility for letter forms which you know yeah. like pressing a key on your keyboard as your father said would not teach you right so I think that's 
totally yeah. something that had or it seems to have had an impact on your on your work and then as you know this is a listener driven show so I'm looking forward to hearing more about your story and experiences as we go down the questions today. We will start with messages coming from social media. Um, our listeners can send us questions through Instagram on at Martina Floor. Send you can send your voice memos with questions and comments by simply going to martinaflor.com slash voice message or email me your voice memos to podcast at martinaflor.com. Our first question is coming from Anusha on Instagram. Do you need to have a talent to be good? And how do you know you have a talent? And I think that Anusha's question touches on the discussion of whether talent is innate or not. And I thought it was such a good question to start with um, because when I look at your story, then I feel that many of your, you know, your insights as a designer and a Lorraine artist can answer this question in a way. Um, so just to give a bit of context, context to our listeners, um, Dan is a graphic designer. And as, as I understand, and we were talking shortly before we started, you didn't go down the path of Lorraine until years ago. So you were working as a graphic designer, you, you explore different um, creative venues within graphic design and at some point you decided to go down the path of lettering which is crazy considering that you had all this you know these experiences growing up uh, yeah. it was just in front of you you know like uh, but yeah, yeah and um when I see how your work has progressed in the spam of the five years that I have known you um I think it really makes me think that there was something inside you that was waiting to be unleashed and once you really focus and you put all your efforts into that it was just you know it was just flowing out of you and uh, I wonder if you see it this way if you feel that it was inside you and suddenly you gave um, room for it Um, and I wonder also, or my question would be if you think that this is, was, this was talent and, or, or you think that there were other things playing a role? Yeah, the, the, I think the talent question is, is fascinating. Um, I guess talent is, I guess you define it as sort of like natural ability. Mm. Um, yeah, for me, I think it's just. I think because I growing up the way I have and being surrounded by, um, you know, all this amazing work, it's, uh, yeah, I think observation is, is a huge thing. And, you know, so like I was saying, I, you know, I grew up just like looking at these prints on the wall when I was eating my dinner. And, you know, I think I, over, over the years, I just kind of, you know, I'm drawing the hell better get A's and my dad was always a stickler for detail and he, he taught me to like really study the detail. So, I've always thought inspiration and sort of observation is probably at least 50% of, of being good at something. Um, so I, I don't think anybody just, you know, comes out of the gates and is, is perfect to any discipline from, from day one. They, they, you know, there has to be a period of time where you practice and you learn and you get inspired and, and, and you know, you just keep doing it yourselves yourself and then it will you know, you'll naturally get better over time but I think also as well you, you need it needs to be something that you enjoy doing you need to want to do it you have to have drive to do something in order to 
to really, really improve. And, you know, with me, it wasn't until I found lettering that I, that I knew, or when I found lettering, I knew that that was the thing for me. And like you say, it was funny because it had been staring me in my face my whole life. Um, but when I found it, I, I knew, and the reason you know is, you know, when you found your sort of calling is, you know, cause you can't stop doing it. You know, you just, you just want to keep making more work. So, and, and that was the case. And, um, yeah, I mean, that all came about for me after my dad passed away. And I, I, I went through this process of tidying and organizing his studio, which is, um, which is kind of just a story in itself. Mm. But, um, yeah, because I mean, my dad, although he was, he was amazing at his work, he was, he, he wasn't the tidiest of people. And, uh, you know, like I say, over the years, his studio just got, it just got more and more full with, because everything was hand done. There was no, nothing was digital. So mm. it all existed in a physical space and it just, it just piled up. And, you know, I think by the time he passed away, he had this little A3 area on his desk where he worked and everything else was just like piles of like sketches and books and pens and ink and all kinds of stuff. So tidying out his studio was, it was a mammoth task and it took oh, at least over six years to, to get it from, you know, the state it was in to basically all being tidied and organized and packed up in boxes. So, and also because it was at my mom's house, which is uh, about an hour's drive from here. So I couldn't go there all the time, but it was an amazing experience for me. And people used to say, oh, did, was it, it must've been like upsetting, you know, going through all this work and, mm. you know, all that kind of thing. And it was a little bit, but uh, for the most part, for me, it was, it was just really inspiring. You know, it was like, it was just like a treasure trove, a treasure, can't speak, treasure, treasure trove. You know what I'm trying to say? It was like, and, and, you know, I just, I was able to go through all his work, discover all this, this, this amazing lettering and calligraphy that, you know, most of it I, I hadn't seen before. And it was just, it just blew me away. And I got so inspired that it was, it was that, that, you know, I, I sort of said to myself, oh, I'm, I, I need to try doing some lettering again. So it inspired me to pick up a pen and start drawing again. So, so I did, but this time, I suppose, like before with the calligraphy, you know, I, I'd given up too soon. I think maybe I compared myself to my dad or something like that and I, I'd given in. But this time I was like, oh, this is, this is amazing. And I, it was something I wanted to try. And I just, over time, over years, I started to try it and, uh, eventually I started posting a few things online and then, you know, eventually I'd get one or two commissions for, you know, for projects and then, yeah. And then here am I, here I am now. So, but it was like, it was, it was quite a long period of time. Uh, but that was the, that was the thing that set me off down the path of becoming a lettering artist. It was, you know, going, going through my dad's studio, tidying all his work and, you know, because it, 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 I didn't have a plan. It wasn't my plan to become a lettering artist. I just, that's, this is just how I've ended up in this position. And yeah, I, yeah, I'm really grateful for the way things turned out. And because I'm more happier now than in my work than I've ever been. So. Yeah. And yeah. I want to, I want to pass, uh, pause, uh, pause there for a second and just want to, you know, like connect this with some of the things we were discussing before starting the, the show, uh, which were that, you know, you explored, so you were working as a graphic designer and you explore within graphic design different 
kind of career paths or creative paths. And um, you mentioned that you were, um, for a while, you were exploring illustration and printmaking. And at some point, you came to this moment where you had to clean up your father's studio, right? Am, am I... Yeah. Am I doing yeah, it? Yeah, it's that? kind of, it, it, I mean, that was it. My, my dad passed away in 2008. So it was shortly after that I started tidying the studio. But like I say, it was, <laughs> it went on for years. It was such a huge, huge process. And, um, you know, I think with, with graphic design, I, I really enjoyed it. But I think deep down, I, I knew that I didn't love it. Mm. And so I was always on the lookout for something else. You know, mm. what is, what is that other thing? Um So I was, you know, even within graphic design, I was exploring other things like web design, even like video work I did for a little bit on some design projects. Um, and then, but I found that I actually quite enjoyed illustration when I tried that. And it maybe goes back to being interested in drawing as a kid, mm. you know, so I, so I always loved illustration. I, and I've always appreciated, you know, really good illustrators and, you know, artists and, and craftsmanship. So yeah. And I think it was, I'm trying to remember a date. I think it was around maybe like 2014, something like that. So my partner, Jan, she's, she's always been really interested in, in printmaking. She, she's worked in the design industry as well, but she was interested in printmaking. And we thought, well, I, I want to, you know, maybe do, do some side projects, do some illustration work. Uh, Jan is really into screen printing. So we basically teamed up and we created this little business called Lost, The Lost Fox, Mm. Um, where we basically made and sold screen prints. So that was that was like this little creative outlet that we had, which both of us really enjoyed. Uh, unfortunately, we had to put it on pause with the whole pandemic thing, and uh, we were renovating the house for a while. So yeah, there was loads of things going on. So it's it's been on the back burner for a little while, but it's still there. And I, you know, although lettering now is my first love, I still I still really enjoy illustration and. You know, the lost fox is something we want to keep going. Um, yeah, when when time allows. And I, I always think of our listeners, and I always think that some of them might be, you know, when I when they look at someone like you and they see how far you are in your um, career as a lettering artist and how much you have developed your skills, I always think of those that are just studying and that are wondering like, hey, what, what is the formula or what are the things I can do to get there what I want to be with my skills? And I wonder what were the steps, if you can dissect kind of like the steps that you did or you took uh, from that moment where you started cleaning up your father's studio and you discovered that there was something fascinating about this and you took a pencil and started drawing, what were the things that really had an impact on keeping you on track and also had an impact on your progress? What were, what would you say were the things that impacted your progress as an artist? Um, I think the first thing was motivation, mm. for sure. Um, once I started drawing, Um, I just found it very therapeutic and I enjoyed it. I don't think I was very good at first, but I was, I was keen to explore, I suppose, and to try and figure out what I could do. Um, and I think to I was just keen to learn, hmm. you know, because like I said, in the, in the past, lettering always seemed like some kind of dark art to me. I couldn't quite figure out 
you know, I draw letters in the past and there's just something about it that, that didn't seem quite what didn't seem quite right. And I couldn't figure out why, you know? And so I was like, I want to, I want to crack this. I, I want to learn. So, um, and like I mentioned before, observation was a big thing. So I spent a lot of time, you know, going through design books and, uh, you know, watching YouTube videos. Um, I did some workshops, obviously I came to your workshop, uh, which was amazing. And anybody listening, I, I highly recommend anything that Martina does. You, you, you know, sign up and do it. <laughs> you were on the, on the first lettering seminar yeah. in Berlin. Was it the first one? I yeah. think it was the first or the yeah. second one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, but I, I, that's why, like, I think, like, from, from that, you know, from that seminar, this is where we met. And since then, you know, I always follow the work of all my students. Um, so since then to up until now, it, you have done such a great progress that for me was like, really, it was like something opened that door that I was inside you and suddenly you were just, you know, just playing your yeah. game in a way like you you did a couple of steps that you know took you into the right or through yeah. the right door in a way yeah because it was around that around that time that I decided to to make the switch to go into lettering like full steam ahead and stop everything else because before that there'd been this period of time where you know I was still doing graphic design work I was doing like bits of illustration work And I was trying to do some lettering as well. And I got one or two small projects, but I hadn't really, hadn't really focused on it too much. And at the time, my website was a mess. You know, there was graphic design work, there was illustration work, there was lettering work. And, you know, it's like bits of everything, but nothing of anything. You know, it was, there was no focus. So it was, I think I got to like 2016 or 2017. And I thought, I feel like I'm, I feel like I might be good enough to, to just try and get rid of everything else or at least, you know, calm it down a little bit and try to focus. So, and, and that, that was a big thing. And once I did that, I mean, I had to work really hard for quite a long time and, you know, I was turning away graphic design projects that beforehand I, I wouldn't have. So my income went down for a little bit, but I just thought I'm going to get through this and I, I really wanted to make it happen. And yeah, I just, it, I guess it was just persistence really. Uh, and the fact that I loved it. So, yeah, lots of lots of different sort of motivating factors. But I guess the, the main one is I just I, I'd fallen in love with letters and I wanted to see if I could make a career out of it. I, I That's really interesting because there was, you know, something that I see as a pattern when I interview other artists is that there is some spark that gives them the hint to go down a certain path. Um, and I think that this is something that, if I think of our listeners that are wondering, like, hey, what is my creative calling? Uh, you know, there's something that by doing, you will you will know. Like, you will say, like, oh, there's something in this that, yeah. you know, it's interesting to me or I enjoy doing. and Or there's something in this that, makes me feel good about myself or my skills or or something but there's if there's any pattern that I have observed throughout the throughout all the interviews and all the guests that I have had in this podcast is that there was a point where they found it like they you know they explore something they draw something they saw something they met someone and they saw 
a ray of light there and they follow through, you know, in the beginning, it's like you said, in the beginning, you're not sure whether this is your thing, you are developing a skill, of course, you make mistakes. Um, but at some point, it becomes clear that, uh, and as you said, like, you, even when you took the path of becoming a full time lettering artist, you had this moments where it was like, well, I'm not sure I can make a living out of this. But then as you follow through, you discover like, hey, yeah, I can definitely do this, right? So I, 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 I just realized this after what you said that, yeah, this is something that you, may, you know, our listeners might aim for if they are trying to discover what is their creative um, talent, right? Yeah. So let's move on to the, our next question, which is coming from Martina on Instagram. Oh my God, I think... This is me. Is so I have a question. <laughs> <laughs> I have a question uh, for you, um, which I think also might be very interesting for or useful for our listeners, um, because not every artist is born in an artistic household. And in fact, most of us don't have your luck. Uh, so I was raised um, in a household of a kindergarten teacher, teacher. My, my mother was a kindergarten teacher and a psychologist, and my father was a doctor. And despite all of this, despite you might think that I had no exposure to creative or visual arts, which I did in a way, but uh, perhaps m more than other people who grew up in similar households, um, but Despite these influences, I ended up choosing this path, um, which is the path of visual arts. So I wonder how much do you think that the context influences one's career path? Because, you know, in your case, um, after 20 years, you can look back and say like, hey, well, there, there was something in my, in my household that definitely inspired yeah. me to follow this path, right? But perhaps 10 years ago, you wouldn't have said that. You wouldn't have find a correlation between what you do today or what you were doing 10 years ago with what your dad was doing. So do you think that you will be doing something different today or nowadays if, if you were not or have been born on a, on a household like the one you were um, growing up in? Uh, quite possibly, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Um, who knows? I mean, uh, uh, my mum was, uh, or is, or else, well, she's retired now. So she was a microbiologist. Hmm. So in my, my parents were basically an artist and a scientist. So, um, and the other thing was growing up as a kid, um, I spent a lot of time in the swimming pool because I, I was a competitive swimmer as a kid. Yeah. Um, so, And I actually did quite well. I was on the England junior team when I was 16. Oh. But I, um, after, the, after the age of about 16, I stopped growing and everybody else carried on. Everyone who I was swimming against, they carried on. And, you know, so I was like, suddenly I couldn't keep up with everybody and, you know, it didn't work out for me. So, I mean, that's just the way things are. But I've always been interested in, in sport as well. And, you know, so I, I think... Had I have grown taller, maybe I would have carried on. I don't know. But the nail in the coffin for that was I got an injury when I was 18. I had a, I had a trapped nerve in my spine and mm. it set me out for, for two years. So I, you know, you know, I, I wasn't swimming at all. Um, 
eventually I got back to it, but and I got sort of got back to the level I was at, but everybody else had just kind of advanced and you know, I just thought, well, you know, I'm not going to the Olympics or anything like that. So I'll, I'll just call it a day. But, you know, it, it might have been very different if I was taller, if I hadn't been injured. I, I mean, who knows? Um, but yeah, so, yeah, I think obviously with, with me, definitely the, the upbringing in the household definitely was a factor in what, I, what I've ended up doing. But, you know, it could be, it, it could be anything. I mean, who knows? You know, um, I think, you know, with me, obviously I got into graphic design and I knew that I wasn't really happy. So I would just say to anybody that if, if you think that you're not happy and, you know, there might be something else out there, just keep trying things, just keep trying new and different things. Even if it's, it might be in a related field, it might be something, it might be an interest you have outside of work. Um, you know, just, just get involved and try things and, and just see and just keep looking. Um, yeah, that's, I think that's what I would <laughs> that's what I would say. I'm not sure if that answers the question, but yeah, yeah just sure keep, 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 keep searching. Yeah. Um, yeah. I wanted to go back shortly. I mean, we've been talking about your dad and how he influenced, influenced your work and how, you know, growing up in your household had an impact on what you do today. And you recently curated an exhibition called Men of Letters, which is a retrospective celebrating the lives and work of Tony Forster, which is your father, and his former student and lifelong friend, Phil Grimshaw. So you also curate their Instagram accounts, which is at Tony Forster uh, underscore lettering and Phil Grimshaw underscore lettering. So I wonder why, of course, you carry all this heritage in your work you have you you know you have learned that from very early on in your life and there's for sure certain influences that you have carried into your work but i wonder also why why it is important for you to keep their work and memory alive um I, well i just um i think it would be a crime not to <laughs> yeah you know um that, i mean you know me discovering my dad's work literally changed my career so i just think yeah you, you kind of have to share it so i mean it's been it's been a struggle you know over the years to try and you know like i was saying organize his work and you know get it to a point where you know i can show it off and you know it was it was uh, this right at the start of 2020 february to march when we had the exhibition And, you know, before that, there was at least six months of work to get everything prepared for that. But then before that as well, there was all these years of, you know, uncovering his work and, you know, trying to categorize it. And, you know, actually trying to do some detective work and figure out what some of the projects were, because, you know, like I say, my dad, <laughs> he wasn't the most organized of, person, of people. So, you know, not much of his work was labeled. I mean, so I had to ask ask around a lot of his old former colleagues, you know, where did this project come from? What was this? What was this for? And, you know, a lot of it in the exhibition, we, we, we managed to figure out, but there was still a lot in there where it just said, you know, date and date and client unknown. So <laughs> we just didn't know. But there was, yeah, there was, there was so much of it, but um, yeah, but like you say, it was a joint exhibition. So I feel like I need to mention Phil Grimshaw, who was, he was like, like you mentioned, he was a student of my dad's. Um, 
And then he went on to become uh, quite a well-known typeface designer with, with ITC and Letraset. And um, there's a chap called Colin Brignall, who's also an amazing type designer himself. And he used to commission Phil to you know, design a lot of these typefaces. And I think, I think Phil had done maybe like 44 typefaces before he passed away. Uh, which was in 1998, and it, it was it was quite tragic. He was only 48 years old when when he passed away. So you just kind of wonder what else he would have done. But um, but yeah, besides the typefaces, Phil was also an amazing uh, lettering artist and calligrapher as well. And his wife Penny was uh, really you know really encouraging to you know with, with us doing the exhibition. And it kind of made sense that it was it was the pair of them because they were sort of like best buddies and. You know, they sort of, you know, quite mis mischievous, the two of them, you know, they spend a lot of time just sitting in the pub and telling stories and stuff. And yeah, it was, they, they were great. So um, yeah, it was, it was really special to have the exhibition uh, and have it be the both of them. So yeah, I was- and it, and you, I, mentioned, you mentioned that the exhibition can travel or might, may travel in the future after yes. the pandemic is- yeah relaxing a little bit yeah that is my hope i mean yeah. we, i still can't believe how lucky we got with the timings so like i said it, it was february to march the exhibition was on in 2020 and then literally halfway through march or i think it might have been april that the lockdown happened so all the other exhibitions after that were cancelled so we just we just snuck in there and we managed managed to get it out but but yeah afterwards so many people asked you know It can can we take this somewhere else? Is it going to go to Manchester? Is it going to go to London? And I'd absolutely love that. That would be that would just be my dream to you know take it on the road. Uh, somebody even actually inquired in Mexico as well. So yeah, <laughs> which we were talking about earlier. And yeah, well, yeah, world domination. <laughs> yeah, it's just, well, I just think to try and get his work out there more yeah. would be amazing. And like you mentioned, there are the Instagram accounts. Uh, there's more coming on, on those, I promise, um, because it's literally the tip of the iceberg. There's like so much to share. Um, yeah. And, you know, hopefully one day we can make a book as well. That would be that would be the dream. Oh, yes. I would love yeah. that. <laughs> Great. And as we move on yeah. to our last segment of the show, um, I would love for you to share an, another story as well. You know, then we all love stories. And in this section, this is our story time section. And we want to go, in this section, we want to go beyond the perfectly curated lives that we normally share on social media. We want to allow space for real stories. And we want to hear about the biggest challenge you experienced as an artist and how that impacted your work and career. Is there any story you would like to share with our listeners? Um, I think it was the biggest challenge was probably deciding to switch careers and, and go into lettering full time because it was, it was quite scary. Um, you know, I felt, like I said, I felt that I was at a point where I was kind of, I was good enough that I could at least start it and, you know, see what would happen. But then there's a whole load of things that come with that. You know, it's like, well, I need to find clients. How am I going to find clients? Um, will they like my work so far? Um, what if I show them my work and it's, you know, because I, 
I didn't really have any, or I, I had very few commercial projects. Mm. So it was almost like starting from scratch right again. So it was really difficult, but um, you were already like a, a freelancer. You were already like a freelance graphic designer, right? That's right. Yeah. So I, I've been freelance for, for a long time. So, and as a freelance graphic designer in the past, and you know, uh, when I was starting out, there were times when I had to do the cold calling thing, which is, you know, you just got to swallow your pride sometimes and just get on with it and ring people up. And, you know, you'll find that, um, you know, a lot of people, sort of will be kind of encouraging as well when you're sort of in that situation and if they don't have any projects for you well this happened to me you know I rang somebody up and they didn't have any work but then they recommended me to somebody else that they knew and I got a project out of it so yeah I mean don't be scared of you know reaching out to people and contacting people and you know showing show them your work don't be shy um I think you have to accept the fact you will have some rejections. That's just part of life, but don't be disheartened. Just keep going and be persistent and you will get work. If you want to make it happen enough, just keep, keep at it and it will, it will happen. Um, but yeah, I think, so that was one of the hardest things for me just to, you know, to make this switch. I mean, I was in my late thirties, you know, making this switch to <laughs> becoming a lettering artist and, You know, like I said, my, my, my income went down for a little while. Um, slowly it's been going back up, which is great. And, you know, making a living, doing what I love. But you have to, you know, you have to sort of try and figure out, you know, what, what are you sort of prepared to struggle a little bit for? You know, that's when you know you really love something. Um, if you're prepared to, you know, work late nights and weekends and go the extra mile to make it happen. Yeah. And I think it's so interesting that you mentioned this um, this background stories about the cold calling or cold emailing. You know that this yeah. this also belongs to making your way through, uh, and it yeah. is just part of it. And it it might bring or it may bring opportunities your way. And I, I'm looking at the at the the piece of this poster that you had that you were showing to me before we started the podcast which is actually a promotional piece that your dad used to if, if I remember correctly that your dad used to um, yeah. send to clients right so you yeah. know people have been doing this for ever is that one the black and white that you can see for those yeah. that are watching on it's YouTube yeah. yeah that <laughs> one so you can you can see that that is like a what what is it like a was a poster that was folded or he was just uh send it as a as a roll or something yeah I think he I think he rolled them in tubes and sent them out yeah but um, so people have been doing this forever you know it's it's the way kind of like yeah. things work you you need to first reach out to people and you need to make your connections and things start rolling from that right absolutely yeah i mean that was that poster um obviously i mean he had a he had a copy on his wall uh when i was growing up as a kid and then at some point it disappeared and when i was clearing out his studio i found this old like tattered copy of it maybe it was the one from on the wall but it was it was just a bit it was a bit old and you know a bit tatty so but as i went through the studio i I, you know, I, I was finding pieces of work and I was thinking, oh yeah, I recognize that. And I realized it was part of the poster. And then, you know, a few hours later, I find another piece and I was like, yeah, I think that was on the poster as well. And then, so I found lots of the actual pieces of work that were in the poster. And 
I didn't find all of them, but I found a lot of them. And so what I did was I, I recreated the poster from scratch. Um, well, for the exhibition, that was the, the, you know, so that we could have it look huge on the wall. And yeah, I was really, was really pleased that I was able to do that. So, but um, yeah, so, but this poster, it's going to be, uh, if it's okay to say, it's going to be for sale on a shop that I'm working on, um, which will be going live at some point in the new year, probably. So um, yeah, keep an eye out and yeah. Amazing. It, so, up there. So, so this is something that is, we are recording this podcast at the end of 2021, just to give it a little bit of context. And oh yeah. <laughs> um, so this, this uh, shop will be probably live on, by the beginning of 2022 so mm -hmm. if people like goes onto your website which we will we will include on our show notes they would surely find um these prints or this print and others that you will probably plan on selling on that platform, yes. right yeah so there's going to be a lot of my dad's prints for sale as well as my own so yeah i guess it's a it's like father-son thing <laughs> but uh yeah i mean it, So many people since the exhibition as well, that was the thing people were asking, oh, is there any prints of this or is there any prints of that or, you know, and Phil's work as well. So, um, yeah, that's something else. Hopefully we can add some of Phil's projects in time as well. But, um, yeah, like I say, people are asking, so I wanted to try and, you know, you know do something. Uh, it's taken me a little while, but, uh, you know, the pandemic is my excuse. <laughs> So was, what, what did yeah. you read? I didn't ask you this. Like, for, yeah, what did you read? Like, what were you reading? Uh, well, I, again, I was super lucky because my dad left behind a library of, <gasps> of books. Of course. Yeah. That's amazing. So, oh, yeah, there's so many. I mean, so many of the old Dover books. Mm. Um, uh, Herbley Bellin was, was I, yeah, I, I should have mentioned that. He was some somebody that my dad introduced me to early on. And that was the first time that I realized that type could be, you know, it's like a, like a vessel for an idea. Mm. So, you know, and because um, my dad had, I should have mentioned this as well, the things are coming to me now. He had, he had, um, we've still got a signed copy of the mother and child logo from Herbie <gasps> Bellin. Oh, so fuck. yeah, it's, it's, it's super precious. So it's at, it's at my mom's house still. But so there was because my dad met Luke. That's that's super valuable. Like I don't know, you can I guess sell it by millions or whatever. <laughs> oh but we'd, we'd never sell it, you know. Yeah. It's just but so it's it's crazy to have that. But um, but yeah, I mean I think before maybe like 10 or 15 years ago, and there was this obviously this explosion in the, the lettering arts, the world of lettering kind of took off again, didn't it? But before that, I was, I don't know, I just, there was a, there was a picture on the wall that said mother and child and it had a little signature on it and it was just always there. So, but then it was only, it only seems to, I suppose, in my mind have gained a lot more value in recent years when, you know, everybody's talking about Herbie Bellin and everybody's, yeah. you know, talking about, so it's, Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of weird, but it's, it's yeah, it's there. My favorite thing out, out of everything that I found in my dad's studio, my favorite thing was his maths report from school. Right. Mm -hmm. So I opened it. I was like reading through his maths report, and when he was 14 years old, this maths teacher had written he wastes most of his time on ornamental writing. <laughs> which is ridiculous it's just it just I, I, I laughed at, I laughed out loud when I when I found it I was like what 
Another thing, uh, just when you were talking about books, yeah, I started reading um, a lot of books lately about the history of type and lettering mm. and writing, mm. and it's fascinating. And I'm sure you've read some yourself. I mean, but I, I read one and then I thought, oh, I'll just get another one. And then I just keep, I kept buying books and I'm sort of obsessed with it at the moment, just trying to piece it all together. It's, you know, it's like a big jigsaw puzzle. Where did these 26 shapes come from? And you know, why are they the way that they are? And, you know, it's, it's did just, you, did you read it, yeah. the, the stroke? I don't know if you, I recommended yes. it. Okay. You're right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because yeah. that one is foundational in. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's amazing. And, but even before that, you know, just like looking at, um, I mean, going back in history, you know, looking yeah. at yeah, just how, how the alphabet evolved and how it came to be those 26 letters and, Yeah, just or Roman Roman engraving and Roman yeah. um, letter forms, how they were, you know, using yeah. chisels to create letter forms and how the yeah. shapes of the letters come from, like, from, well, from from the brush originally, and then and yeah. then from the carving. But and it's also because I was reading about this and I was thinking it's actually it's probably the first time in history when style came into lettering or, or, or into words because before that it was fairly. You know, it's fairly basic, wasn't it? Like stick drawings of, of letter shapes and symbols. And then the Romans, you know, being, you know, really into organization and, you know, art as well. So then suddenly they made, it's like, oh, yeah, we're going to do our letters like this. And so they had the, what was it, Mon Monumentalis or something, mm -hmm. the, you know, essentially the Trajan letters. Yeah. And, you know, and, but yeah, you think, actually, yeah, that's the first time anyone actually gave a style to letter forms. And, You know, and I, th I thought about that and it sort of blew my mind a little bit, you know, yeah, but I think like there's, there's, there's so many moments in history where little things happen, you know, because because us today, we have so much stuff, so many letters in like so many different styles. And it's like it's almost like you don't you don't often stop to think where they come, where they came from or where you can trace them back to. You know, it's like when I think it was like, um, was it early in the in the 19th century? No, sorry, no, uh, in 18-something or other. Before that, all there was was, like, serif typefaces, and then there was all the George Bickham stuff, the, the, you know, the, the penmanship. Yeah. Um, and then all of a sudden, William Caslon did something crazy, and he made a, he made a typeface without serifs, and everyone was like, what? What, what is this? <laughs> you know, it's the most ugly thing in the world. And But we do, like, today, we just take it for granted because we have all these different lettering styles, but back then... Can you imagine what that must have been like? Just suddenly oh, yeah. there was no, there was no sans serif. And then suddenly there's a sans serif. It's like, <gasps> what is this? So yeah, it's just, it's been fascinating. So I've been oh, yeah. Yeah, re yeah. reading all these books. <laughs> and if you think about it, like, like going shortly back to the Roman lettering, like if you think about it, it's the like longest, longest life corporate typeface ever. It's like, it even, it's even called like Roman letter forms yeah. you know like and, and you, yeah. they will live forever at least in the name of that specific lettering style yeah. or letter form style so that's yeah. pretty brilliant like um it's a very good how to yeah. say like it's a very good argument to um to explain to clients why they should do a custom logotype or they should create a custom uh logotype or typeface for for yeah. for their companies and stuff so <laughs> oh yeah 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 definitely i mean it's funny with trajan um 
it's almost it's like it's the go-to typeface for every single movie poster you know it's it's kind of sad in a way because um i remember when i was at college i did a i did a project on trajan um because i had the i've got my my dad's copy of the uh it's called the origin of the serif i don't know if you have it but um, yeah 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 it's an amazing book so so I did a project on Trajan and, you know, and then I remember seeing the trait that somebody made, I think it was Carol Twomby, uh, she made the typeface Trajan hmm. eventually. And I was like, oh, I've got, I've got to get a copy of the Trajan typeface so I can use it, you know? And I remember being like really excited, but now it's everywhere. It's just yeah. overused and it's kind of a shame. There is a guy yeah. who um, who writes about typography. He's called Yves Peters. I'm going to send you this video because he has yeah. um, a a brilliant presentation about um, uh, Trajan, Trajan uh, typeface yeah. and um, and its use in movie posters. Like it, it, he does a brilliant presentation about how yeah. all movie posters throughout time use uh, Trajan um, as a you know corporate typeface and yeah. it's so funny it's super funny i'm gonna i'm gonna look up for it i saw it on a um on a couple of uh conferences but i bet that there's um there's one online that you can watch because if you you have yeah. if you have been exploring that i think you'll find this hilarious he's so funny and um and he did like a really deep research into this like it, it's not like Yeah. Just a funny presentation. He really just went through a lot of movie posters, and yeah, it's it's super funny. So. Oh, brilliant! Yeah, please send me that. I'll yeah, I'm to gonna see I'm it. gonna send it to you. <laughs> yeah, for sure. We are getting on to the end of our show, and I would love for you to share again all the places where people can find you, like your social media handles, your website, so that when this project is live, they can go uh, check it out. Um, so, where can people find you then? Okay, so my website is danforster.com and everywhere else is basically Dan Forster. So uh, Instagram is at Dan Forster, Twitter is at Dan Forster. Um, I think LinkedIn might be the same, I think. Yeah, uh, so those are the main places, mainly Instagram and, and LinkedIn. I, I don't use Twitter too much, but occasionally I'll dip in. So say hello. <laughs> Great, and you mentioned that, you know, besides this project you're working on on you know setting up your own shops selling some of these prints um, yeah. probably prints of yours but also things that your father created um, but you also mentioned or you were telling me before we started that you were exploring um, the you know the learning side of things or kind of like the teaching side of things so um, tell us a little bit about this and uh, I know you cannot tell much yet but um, so that people get excited and kind of checks out when the project is live and um, yeah they can learn from you yeah I have something going on in the background which is um, it's going to be live early next year so you know, I, it will all be announced on my on my Instagram uh, and you know social media but yeah teaching is something I've been interested in for a little while I've worked with some of the universities at Bolton uh, which is where we had the exhibition and where my dad used to teach actually. So that was, you know, quite nice to, to go in there. And then just through some of the universities in the North, I've, I've done a few talks and, you know, things like that. It's just, it's been really nice to help out the students and set them projects and, uh, you know, and just, just help them on the way really. So, uh, and it's been, it's been interesting for me. I mean, it's funny how much you, you sort of learn yourself when you start doing a little bit of teaching and, 
it's it's still quite new to me so hopefully it will be something that I can do more of in the future I'm sure and I'm sure that a lot of people is like looking forward to learn from you and kind of see how you create the amazing work that you do um, lastly I would like to ask you if you would like to share something else with our listeners um, I always ask my guests to say something that you know that you would like someone to tell you when you started. Um, so what would you share with our listeners? Um, yeah, I think probably similar to what I was saying earlier, you know, if you if you really want to do something, just you stick at it and, and be persistent, don't give up. Um, you know, the, the work that you, that you do straight away, if, you, if you're exploring something new, just understand that You know, it's not going to be good straight away, but if you really enjoy doing it and you want to do it enough, you will get better and you will get really good in time, you know, the more you do it. So, um, yeah, keep, just just keep going, stick at it and don't give up. I, I think that's that. what I'd say. Thank you so much, Dan, for being on the show today. It was great having you and have, have this conversation about you, your story, your dad. There's so many questions that I left out today, but um, thank you so much for sharing all these stories with us. You're welcome. Thanks so much for inviting me. It's been awesome. Amazing. So this is it. Uh, you can find me, the host of the show, on social networks at Martina Flor on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you have questions or comments, go to martinaflor.com dot com slash podcast where you can see previous episodes find show notes and send voice memos with your comments and questions you can also watch these episodes on youtube just go to martinaflor.com slash youtube to find them you can of course listen to all our episodes on your favorite podcast platform if you love this episode subscribe to this podcast and if you leave us a review it will help others find us thank you all for listening and see you in the next episode of better now bye bye Thank you.